I just want to, we're showing this at all of our campuses, um, and, but I really want to address uh, Norwalk today. It's, it's pretty providential, I don't use that word lightly, that I'm here. And some of you are like, who are you? <laughs> I haven't seen, I haven't been in Norwalk since August. Um, I've been really in Sandusky a lot uh, as the campus pastor there. Um, also, my title at the chapel is co-lead pastor. So, uh, Pastor Todd, who is also uh, one of our pastors in Port Clinton, and I, uh, we get the pr- privilege of serving together on a team of, of co-leadership as we lead the chapel. And um, so I've been in Sandusky a lot, but today I, I get to be here. One of the reasons is, is because we needed to give Charles a weekend off because he works so hard. We had to just keep him at home. He was already texting me, how did it go today? Uh, but I just want you to know, and you know this, but I want to tell you again, um, Charles is amazing and he loves you so much. He is a great pastor. I just want to give him a round of applause, even though he's not here, he deserves it. He's such a dear friend, and uh, I'm so grateful that uh, what, he do, what he means, but, but also to be here and to announce that. Um, I'm not going to share uh, every detail with you, but I think you deserve a little bit more because of, of Jeff's role and, and where Foundations Church is, obviously very close to the chapel. Let me just give you a little bit more background than the video gave. So, obviously, some of you are from Foundations Church, and I'm excited to get to meet you, and you are here because... Um, there's just been some struggles there. It's none of my business to share what those struggles are, uh, but there have been that. And one of those things that happened, unfortunately, is Pastor Jeff uh, left the church. Um, he ended up coming to the chapel um, the weekend after uh, things happened because he just wanted to come uh, to a place to heal. Uh, there's just a lot of brokenness there. So he and I have been friends for a while. His son Silas and my son Hudson plan a travel basketball team together, so we've been uh, knowing each other for a while, and then as he's been, as he started to come and heal simultaneously, we were looking for a pastor for groups and classes and men's ministry. We started that search in August, so a few months even before any of this uh, went down with foundations. Just to be able to tell you this, uh, the chapel will never ever go to another church and steal someone's pastor from them. It's just not who we are. We don't believe in that. Um, at the same time, because there was a, a break there and there was no reconciliation, there couldn't be, um, we just felt like maybe this could be. So I addressed uh, Jeff about the position months later. We both decided let's pray about that situation. And after the first of the year, he went through an official interview uh, with some of our pastors. Some of our team were there. We met with Amy and, and some of our wives Again, some more discussions uh, were had and then felt like this was the right opportunity for Jeff as he didn't want to leave the area but still wanted to serve as a pastor and it met our need as well. So we're really thrilled that he's coming. But I also know that some of you are, are former Foundations members who I assume by the clapping that some of you are really excited by that. Others of you maybe aren't. You're confused, you're hurt. Transparently, Pastor Charles and I met with a, uh, a former foundations person this past Thursday for three hours just to be able to walk some things through. Pastor Todd, Charles, and I are available this next week if any of you want to talk. After the service, I'm going to end up over there by the door just like you, I was when you came in. You're more than welcome to pull me aside and share anything you want, um, and, and maybe we can make an appointment or something, or if you want to just encourage uh, the process too. Um, Jeff will be here at 11.30. He's in Sandusky right now. He'll be here at 11.30 just to say hello to some people. So if you want to stick around and congratulate him, that would be great. But I think what we should do as a church is to pray about this and to give it to the Lord. I want to pray for foundations today. They're still a sister church of ours. There's time in the area. We love them. We love people who are trying to follow Jesus. And I know they're going through a hard time too. 
So I want to pray for them and also pray for Jeff. So let's pray together. Lord, life is messy. It's just all of us know that in our own lives. And unfortunately, sometimes in the kingdom of God, it is to... Lord, I just pray for anybody here who maybe has left foundations or is just here just from church hurt elsewhere. God, I just pray that you would heal them. We're just trying our best uh, to try to figure out this situation and to just see what you're doing in this. Lord, we believe in redemption, and redemption is a a do-over, a fresh start, so to speak. And Lord, I just pray for that foundations as they find their way and for Jeff and Amy as they find their way. Lord, we believe you've said that their way intersects with the chapel, and we believe um, that's exactly what's going to happen. So, Lord, um, we just pray for this situation, and we just pray for anybody um, wondering if this is the right thing or not, God, that we would just seek you together and just to hear what you have to say. Thank you, God. In your name, amen. Just to let you know, Jeff won't be here every weekend. So uh, he's a part of our teaching team. Uh, you'll maybe see him here about once a month or so. He'll be at our other campuses um, as a part of the team and doing a lot of work there. But Hopefully he will be a part of the team, so that's great. But enough about that. We have some work to do today because we're starting our new message series called The Armor of God, Becoming Battle-Ready Against the Forces of Evil. We just finished up Galatians, and for six weeks we're talking about the freedom of God, freedom of God, freedom of God. But because we are free in Christ, the enemy wants to put us back in the prison cell, so to speak. Wants us to not follow Jesus. And so in order to understand the kind of battle that we are facing, we have to understand the opponent. And most of us who are familiar with the armor of God know the different armor pieces we put on. And we're going to talk about that the next few weeks. But I think sometimes we don't get enough credence to our opponent who we're fighting against. And the Apostle Paul spends a lot of time describing our opponent. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, and and we'll be there most of the time today. So here's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6. Final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities, excuse me, of the unseen world, and against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. If you're a football fan or a sports fan in here, you know that to get ready for the next opponent, you want to watch film on that opponent. And you're watching film on that opponent because you want to try to see where they are weak. What can you exploit? And the Apostle Paul here is going to tell us what that is in a little bit, but he's explaining, here is your opponent. And all of these descriptive words, here's who you're fighting against. And what we want to do today is talk about Satan, talk about the devil. Who is he? What is he trying to do? Now, if the lights start to flicker in here, start to think it's wonky, we know who's behind that. But again, I think that's all a part of this. We don't want to talk about Satan because we just want to focus on God, and we should. But there is a real enemy. And I'm telling you, the way we describe him today, I think it's even a little bit more real than sometimes I even give credit to. When he talks about it, we're talking about the devil, and he is the lead enemy. When we understand the name of this enemy, his official name is Satan. In Hebrew, it's Satan, and it means traitor or adversary. From the beginning of time, even before humans were created, there was this falling out between God and Satan in the spiritual realm. 
and Satan becomes a fallen angel, and he takes other fallen angels with him, and God, he casts him down, and he becomes the lead of all of this army. And his whole purpose is to be a traitor to God's plan and to enact his plan. He wants to be an adversary to God so he can stop us, or at least try to stop us, from following Jesus. And if you're familiar with the scriptures, you'll see different um, names given to Satan. Right away, we see the serpent in Genesis. He becomes a main character, God, humanity, and the serpent, Satan. He's described throughout scripture as the tempter, the wicked one, the deceiver, which we'll look at next week some more, the accuser of the brethren, the ruler of the world, the prince of the power of the air, and the dragon in Revelation described seven times in that way. This is who Satan is. And we see different descriptions all throughout Scripture. Now, Paul, he talks about him as the devil. The devil in Greek is the word diablos. And it means to throw something in the middle of something. That's where we get the term to throw a monkey wrench into something. I think we all know what that means, but here's an example. Let's say it's pretty nice out today, but say it's the summer and you're getting together with other folks to go on a picnic and all of a sudden the weather changes because it changes by the minute in Ohio and now it's raining and you're thinking, oh man, that threw a monkey wrench in our plans. It was supposed to be this, but now we have to pivot because of this. Or say that you're thinking about your future. You believe that this job's going to be open to you because your boss promised you that. And then they go with somebody else. That's throwing a monkey wrench in your plans. You go from this to this. And that's exactly what the Satan wants to do, the devil wants to do. He wants to throw a monkey wrench into the plans of God. That's why from the beginning, when God says to Eve, Adam and Eve, don't do this, and then the Satan comes around and he's cunning, he's wicked, he is evil, he starts to question who God is and what he said. He wants to throw a monkey wrench in God's plan. Not just his plan in general, but he wants to throw a monkey wrench in your life to keep you from who God is. And so Paul, he goes on to explain that this devil, Satan, this traitor, he leads an army known for many things, Paul says. The first is that he's known for leading an army that's very powerful. Again, back to Ephesians 6, these evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world. Satan is extremely powerful. The scriptures say that he is the prince of darkness. That he has so much power that when Jesus is tempted in the garden, Satan tempts him with numerous things, but he tempts him with power saying that you can be a ruler over everything that you see. That's how powerful he is. And not only does he wield that power with Jesus, he wields that power even with us. Do you see the evil that happens with some of our politicians, some of the rulers of this world, some of our people that we work with, maybe they're our bosses. He likes to take power and corrupt it. He wants to be behind the scenes and promise things to you that are of God so that he has this power then to just trip you up and throw you down and thwart the plan of God in your life. 
And he often does so in a very cunning way, which we'll see in a moment. God gave him power. I don't know why gave him. God gave him so much power. And in the end, we see in Revelation that power will be no more. But right now, between Jesus leaving and Jesus coming back, he's very powerful. He has a lot of clout in this world. He's also very wicked. Paul describes him as evil spirits. Now, when we are interacting with people, even if people are bad people, we can reason with them usually. Most of us were taught from an early age right and wrong. We understand we have like this moral, ethical code weaved in in our hearts so we can reason with each other. We understand what the right thing to do is. At work, you probably have a code of ethics that you sign to say, I'm representing the company, I'm representing your workplace, I'm going to act and be this kind of person. In sports, there are rules that if you don't abide by them, you can be penalized, you can be thrown out of a game, you could eventually lose the game. And so we know those things, but I'm just telling you, according to John Stott, all of those things don't apply to Satan. He is far more wicked than we can even understand. Even some of the worst people in this world, you can try to reason with them, and sometimes they can be moved, but not Satan. He is far above that. There is no morality. There's no code of ethics. There's no rules. He throws those things out. He is so wicked that he will set traps for you, and he will act as an angel of light, Scripture says, He acts literally like God. And if you don't know the scripture, you don't know the truth. You're not in community. You don't know exactly what God says. You could do something thinking God said to do it. And he's so wicked that all of a sudden he just takes off the mask and says, Aha, it was me the whole time. And you see that all throughout scripture. He knows no boundaries. He's playing a different game than you and I can't even imagine the rules are. Paul, he then says that the devil leads an army known for being cunning He says, stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Anybody in here ever seen the Roadrunner cartoon? Anybody? Okay, good. I just want to make sure you're awake here. If you're awake, then tell me, who is the Roadrunner's nemesis? Wiley Coyote. The word strategy means wily. Another translation of the Bible will say, stand firm against all the wileys of the devil. That the devil is like Wiley Coyote. And that he's setting traps along the way for you to fall into, to bait you into what he wants you to do. And then finally, when he has you, he will hook you. And now he has you. And Roadrunner, he can kind of see these traps coming. That's why he could never, or Wiley Coyote could never get the Roadrunner. He was just a little bit smarter. But oftentimes we aren't. And he will go for exactly what you love. He will appeal to pleasure, he will appeal to idols. He will appeal to relationships. He will appeal to money. He will appeal to all the things that we and our sinful nature just absolutely love. And then you're walking by and you're thinking, man, that looks really good. And then you step into his trap and then he has you. He is cunning. He is looking to devour you. And he's not going to come around like this red figure with horns and a pitchfork because that's too easy to spot. He will come along in such a way that you will know it's him when it's too late. I think of Adam and Eve. Eve took the fruit because the enemy convinced her it was good. After God said not to, he persuaded her 
and Adam as well to do that. And that's why some of us here, we're having the fruit in our hand and God says, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And we know not to. But somehow, because of a trap laid by this cunning enemy, we take it anyways. And then we see the results in our life. Oftentimes, you don't even notice it. Until you look back, you're like, oh, it was that thing. I knew God told me not to do that, but it did it anyways because it felt so good. It looked so good. I thought it was for me. Then it ruins things. One of the greatest stories to me that's ever been written that describes this cunning figure is Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Now, it's a little confusing at first because it's written from an, a demon's perspective. And so when they talk about the enemy, it's actually about God. And the whole purpose of Screwtape Letters is that this new person is a recent converted Christian. And he's a new believer. And this uncle Screw tape is writing to this junior demon, trying to persuade this new Christian out of following Jesus. And what's so scary about the story is oftentimes it's so subtle that you don't know it. One of the things that when I read it, I stopped and like, holy smokes. One of the things he tries to do is try to judge other people. Because when you judge somebody else, you feel good about yourself. But what you don't understand is that you're taking the position of God. You start to think you're better than people. And remember when Jesus came and started to uh, confront people that were Pharisees because they thought they were better than everybody else? And then Jesus said to the Pharisees, you don't have the right heart. Your heart is dead with God. Those are the things that Satan is trying to do to try to trap you. It's not obvious until it's too late. The devil, he leads this unseen army and as I look around, I see a lot of people, and I see a piano, I see a music stand, I see a glass of water that I'm going to drink out of real quick. I see a guitar, I see a lot of things, and so I don't think I have to convince you of that. But right now, you're also breathing air. I don't think any of you can see air right now. If you can, come talk to me afterwards, we'll pray for you, but you can't see it, but it's as real as this cup. It's as real as you. And I think sometimes as Christians... We make Satan in, in the demonic spiritual world almost like a movie. More often than not, I see it talked about in movies as this weird kind of thing than real life, like this piano is sitting here. It is real. There is a battle happening right now that's as real as happening in Ukraine. And though it's unseen to us, it affects every one of us because we're in the middle of that battle. There's a book written by Timothy Warner. It's an older book. It's because this was written by Pastor Jay's professor. If you know Pastor Jay, he's a little bit older. No wonder this book looks so old. Don't tell him I sold you said that, all right? He's like a dad to me, so I don't think he'll care too much. But he talks about what is really happening in the dimensions that we can't see. And there's just this illustration. It's a basic illustration, and there's more that we can say, but this really gives you a good picture of what's happening that we can't see. So here's God on his heavenly throne, and he is in this realm that's outside of time, outside of matter, outside of space. You and I, our brains just explode when we think about it. He is not in our midst, though he is, he, but he still has this realm that's above us that we can't touch. And then there's this realm of people on earth, and we know that there's two different kinds of people, at least through the scriptures that we see. We have people that believe in Jesus, and then people that don't. You are represented in one of these two people. You may believe in Christ. You follow Christ for the last 
50 years of your life or the last five months of your life, or others of you are seekers, you're not sure what you believe, but these are the kinds of realms of people the scriptures talk about. And then we see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, was given to us as a friend, a companion, to make us more like Christ. Jesus said, it was better that I sent the Holy Spirit to you because he was limited by space and time, but not the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is our way to connect with God, to pray to God, to have a relationship with God. And then in between all of this, there's these heavenly realms mixed with angels and demons. And the angels, they're from God, sent to minister to us. There are things that happen. Scriptures tell us that angels were in your midst and you don't even know. 99.9% of people probably have never seen an angel. Someone came up to me after the service and told me their mom did, which I thought was really cool. I haven't. Doesn't mean I don't believe that. I just haven't. Most of the time, it's anonymous. But there's this spiritual battle where God is sending his angels to help us as we battle the enemy as well. But when it comes to the devil and the demons here, there's a relationship with both believers and unbelievers. For believers, the whole goal is to keep us from Jesus. For unbelievers, the whole goal is to keep them from Jesus. One of them will make you doubt your faith, will make you question your faith, will make you apathetic in your faith. It's the reason why some of us, even coming to church, you're like, oh, I don't really want to. I'm tired. There's been a lot going on, and I'm not judging you for that. I feel the same way. But what if I told you, and maybe you think I'm taking this too seriously. I don't think I am. What if I told you that's just a little trap that Satan tried to set for you today so you couldn't come here and couldn't worship together? There's other things or that keeps us from the scriptures or fellowship with others or generosity with our finances or whatever it is. It's so not obvious until it is. For non-believers, I'm just telling you right now, if you don't believe in Jesus, the enemy's doing a really good job because he is here to convince you subtly that all you need is money, that all you need is sex, All you need is materialism. All you need is people. All you need is yourself. You don't need God. And when you talk about heaven, he will convince you that you just be a good person because all good people like dogs go to heaven. And at the end of the day, you have to really figure out what the scriptures say and what God's telling you. But he's going to try to set traps for you not to believe. This is happening just like we're sitting here today. All around us, if we put on the glasses of, of spiritual lenses, just like we saw in the Old Testament, and you saw everything going around here, all of us would be on the ground. It's real. I don't know it's real because I experience it. You experience it. I don't think we give it enough credence because there's an opponent out there. This opponent, as Paul describes, is so strong that we have to fight against it. And he gives us this battle plan. He says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the wileys, the strategies of the devil. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Paul is using language that the readers would have understood language of a Roman soldier putting on his armor to be ready to go to battle. 
And I think sometimes we as Christ followers, we settle for a Sunday faith where we say, hey, we're going to church, we're going to pray in church, we're going to sing in church, which is awesome. But when we don't put on our, our armor of God every single day, we wonder why the enemy is trapping us and, and, and hooking us, and we're losing that battle. God gives us everything we need in him. And he's going to describe over the next six weeks exactly how you and I can stand firm. Well, we don't have to lose, but we can win. And so he tells us things like this. Put on the belt of truth, which is God's scriptures. That holds everything together like a belt or back then a girdle-like belt would have done. The breastplate of righteousness that covers the vital organs, including the heart. The word righteousness means right living. When you live like Christ, when you live holy lives, the scriptures tell us, it guards your heart from the schemes of the enemy. The boots of peace literally describe what you can experience on a daily basis as you stand firm. You don't have to live uh, with not knowing where God is. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to experience that. You can have peace wherever you go. And you bring that peace to others. The peace of the gospel. Shields of faith where you're holding in front of you to try to, try to wield off the, the, the arrows that are being shot at you. And you do that because you're in Christ. And because you're in Christ, those things don't have to penetrate you. You can withstand temptation. You can withstand the other schemes of the enemy. The helmet of salvation, guarding your mind. Because where your thoughts go, your life goes. And if you know that you're secure in Jesus, he protects your mind. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to give in to that. And then the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive, offensive piece of equipment. It's the word of God. And you're able to stick the enemy where the sun don't shine. I don't know if I can say that in church, but I just did. That's what we're supposed to put on daily. Daily. Not when we feel like it. Not when we come to church, because that's what you're supposed to do. Every day is a battle that you can win or lose based upon who you're trusting in. And based upon how you're getting yourself ready. And the Apostle Paul, as he, absolute, as he describes this armor, he ends with a verse that I want to end with today. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Paul's describing a Roman soldier who is saying goodbye to their kids, their family, maybe for the last time. But before he goes off to battle, he kneels on the ground and he gives his life to Jesus. And he says, look, I'm going and I don't know what's going to happen today, but I'm asking you to guide me. I'm asking you to protect me. I'm asking you to be who I need to be today through your strength. Someone that's praying as they're fighting off the enemy. It's our greatest weapon that we have outside of the scriptures. And so I thought as we end our service today that we would attach prayer to what God has done for us in communion. So grab your communion cups for me if you don't mind. Sonia and the team are going to sing a song actually that Sonia and Donna and uh, Bill, her parents wrote together about the armor of God. And I just, before you open communion, I just want to pray over you today based upon what Paul says. So if you want to close your eyes, great. If you want to put your hands out to receive this, great. Let me just pray a few prayers. Lord, at the cross, you proved your love for me. The enemy tells me your love is conditional. Don't let me believe such a lie because I know there's nothing I can do to make you love me less love me more. Your love is unconditional. Lord, at the cross, I see you taking my sin, my shame, 
my past onto yourself. The enemy throws my past, my sin, my shame, my guilt in my face all the time. And so fill my mind with Paul's words that say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, at the cross, we see an image that is hard to forget. The enemy would like us to forget because his feet or his fate was sealed at that time. The enemy would like us to forget because he knows it means our freedom from him. But you've told us not to forget, to remember your death. And so as the team sings this song, I just pray that you would hear God's unconditional love speak to you, what he did on the cross. And when you're ready, you can take the communion cups. The cracker represents the broken body of Jesus. The blood represents what was poured out because he wanted us to reconcile with him. Take it when you're ready and thank God that he has you battle ready as well. We are standing in the power of Jesus, standing strong in the Lord. God bless you as you leave. We'll see you next week.
Seed. 